Welcome to Living Bread Radio Presents, a program designed to teach and evangelize about the Catholic faith through various speakers and presentations given in the local listening area. Today's show features Steve Ray and his talk, Abraham, Our Father in Faith and Works, recorded at the Gift of Faith Conference in June 2008. And now, Steve Ray. He believed God. What would have happened, I asked Jerry at that dinner that he came to my what would have happened if Abraham said no? Would he have still been saved? If he had denied it, said no, I'm not going to do it, I'm going back to Ur, I'm going back home. Would he have still been the father of faith? Would he still have been saved? I don't think so. But he takes the flint knife and he cuts his foreskin off. And also of all the men of his servants and Eliezer, his servant, they all had to do this. In one way of looking at it, the whole New Testament revolves around that flint knife. The whole New Testament revolves around the flint knife. Why? Because that was the sign of being in God's covenant people. And when the big clash came, when Jesus died and rose again and the apostles went out to preach, they preached to the Jews who didn't many accept, and then they went out to the Gentiles. And who were they? They were the uncircumcised people. And it says that no one of the uncircumcised people can be God's people. And if you Gentiles out there want to come into into having our Jewish Messiah be yours? You want the Jewish Messiah? Okay, great. Then become Jews. Go get circumcised. Follow the laws of Moses and then you can have our Jewish Messiah. But what makes you have a right to our Jewish Messiah while you're the filthy going dog Gentiles? Don't you realize we can't even sit and have a meal with you or we'll be totally devastated and we'll have to go through all these rituals? It's not circumcision that saved Abraham. Circumcision was a sign of Abraham's faith in the covenant he had with God. Then one day, the Trinity comes to visit Abraham. He's in in his tent in Oaks of Mamre, which is just outside of Hebron, where the Oaks of Mamre are. And by the way, I've been there a number of times, and I have acorns from the great-great-grand oak trees of the one that was there in Abraham's time. And Abraham is in his tent, and one day he sees three men approaching, and there they are. And he jumps up, and he goes, and he calls them Adonai, Lord. And he even calls them, at times, it's plural, Adonai, plural, and at times, Adonai, singular. And there is a great icon by Andrei Rublov, which shows three, looks like angels, sitting together at a table. And it's these three men, and it's called the Trinity. It's been Christian tradition that those three angels, men, whatever they were that came to Abraham were the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in human form coming to visit Abraham. They were coming to see if what was going on in Sodom was really true, but they were also coming to tell Abraham that one year from today he'll have a son. And they come there, and how does Abraham receive them? It's interesting, you go and read Genesis 18 and you highlight every time it says he ran, he rushed, he hurried. Quickly he did this. He saw them coming and he quickly ran. He, got the, uh, he ran fast, he quickly got the best calf, slayed the calf, went and told Sarah, get the food ready. He brought water for them to wash his feet. Quickly ran, hurried to take care of Jesus in his pre-incarnate form who's coming to him. In John chapter 8, 
Jesus is arguing with the Jews in Jerusalem, the descendants of Abraham, and they say, we're the children of Abraham. And Jesus said, when I came to Abraham, how did he receive me? You tried to kill me. That's not what Abraham did. You're old as Abraham, he said, before Abraham was, I am. When Abraham, when, when I came to Abraham, he hurried to feed me, hurried to wash my feet, hurried to make me food. What do you do when I come to you, his children? You try to kill me. You are not the sons of Abraham. You're the sons of your father, the devil. Because if you were the sons of Abraham, you would treat me like he did at the Oaks of Mamre in Genesis 18. And then God went down to look at Sodom, and that's when he fried them. And Sarai laughed. She was in the tent. The three men were there with Abraham, and they said, by this time next year, you will have a son by Sarah. She was in the tent, and she goes, (laughs) she's 90 years old. She's like my mother. She laughs. Do you know what the word Isaac means? Her son's name, Isaac, is Hebrew for laughter. She named him Laughter. Some people say that she laughed because she doubted. Some people say she laughed because she was so ecstatic and happy. A hundred years old, Isaac is finally born. He now has a son. He will never let Isaac leave the land. He cannot go to see his, to the family to get a wife. He can't ever leave the land because it would be a sign of betrayal of God because he had a son and his son is going to stay on the land. At 115 years old, and I say that because Isaac probably was a young man strong enough to hike three days, talk to his dad about important things, so he's probably 15 years old. Genesis 22, and Abraham is about 115 years old, and Isaac, his pride and joy that he's waited 100 years to have, God says to Abraham, Abraham, and he says, yes, God, here I am. In this one chapter, three times, Abraham says, here I am. It's the proper response, by the way, when God calls. When God calls, the response is, here I am. Over and over again in the Bible. Abraham, here I am. I want you to take, I'm going to read it because I can't paraphrase it better. He said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac. Take him to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. Again, he's telling him to go somewhere and he doesn't know where it is. Just go and I'll tell you when you get there. So Abraham, what was his response? Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. This is one of the most beautiful things that I love to do in Jerusalem. When I'm standing at the top of the Notre Dame Hotel and I have my group there and I look out over the city of Jerusalem and there is Temple Mount and there is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre right in front of you like this. And I tell the story of Abraham from atop of there looking at the sights. He says, take your son, Ab- your son Isaac to Moriah. Do you know where Moriah is? There's a hint in 2 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles I think it is, where it says that God told Solomon to build his temple on Mount Moriah, which should give you a clue as to where Mount Moriah is. It is the hill of Jerusalem. Mount Moriah 
is where Abraham had to take his son to offer him a three days journey up from Hebron to Mount Moriah, which is where Solomon built his temple, which is where Jesus was and right where he was crucified 2,000 years later. Things should be going click, 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 click. Abraham is the father who loves his only begotten son. And he takes him to Mount Moriah for a sacrifice. Do you remember Mel Gibson's movie when Jesus was on his way up the mountain to be crucified? What was he carrying? The cross. It says that Jesus, John tells us that Jesus carried his cross. The wood of the cross. Do you remember what Isaac carried up Mount Moriah? It says Isaac carried the wood of the sacrifice. And then it says his father, his father put him on the wood of the sacrifice. You want to see how much it pained the father to give his only begotten son? He gives you the story of Abraham so you fathers and mothers can feel it in a human way. He put him on the wood of the cross. And right before he was ready to slay him, an angel says, Abraham, Abraham. The knife was coming down. Said that God was testing Abraham. Testing him? He didn't test him enough. He didn't already prove enough. But he was testing Abraham to see if he would obey him and fear him. The knife is coming down and the angel stops him. Abraham, no. And Abraham stops. And there in the bushes is a ram caught in a thicket. Why was the ram caught in a thicket? Everything means something in the Bible. When the earth was cursed after the fall, what was the sign of the curse? That it would now produce thorns and thistles. Jesus is going to the cross not only to carry our sins. He doesn't just love your soul. For God so loved the cosmos, the world. The world is under the curse of sin just like we are. God, Jesus is there to remove the sin from us to save us. But he wears on his head the sign of the the curse of the earth, thorns and thistles. He's carrying that to the cross as well to redeem the earth. And if you don't think I'm right, look at read Romans chapter 8. Where it says even today, nature groans under the curse of sin, waiting for the day of redemption with the sons of God. That's why the ram's head was stuck in a thicket. But there's more, I think. I'm speculating here. But what was Jesus' head stuck in on his way to the cross? A crown of thorns. He is the Lamb of God. He is that ram, that sheep that's going to the sacrifice for us. And his head is stuck in a thicket of thorns. And he goes to the cross for us. By the way, this is the first time the word love is used in the Bible. Abraham loved Isaac. God is the first one to use the word, Take your son, your only son, whom you love. It's the first time the word love is in the Bible. The love of the Father for his only begotten Son. So there's so many parallels. I could go on and on. But he said, after this happened, it says that God said to Abraham, now I know that you fear me. 
So I said to Jerry Simon, is this when he was saved? No, he was already saved. But I said to him, let's read in the book of James, the one that Martin Luther wanted to cut out of the Bible. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works, made righteous by works, when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Was not Abraham justified by his works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? One verse down. So you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Abraham was justified by faith and by works. By faith or works. That's what a Protestant does. Well, it's either faith or works. It's the Bible or tradition. It's Jesus or Mary. And I say, no, why do you divide these things that God never divided? It's faith and works. It's the Bible and tradition. Jesus is God and man. Why do you divide things and say either or? The Catholic Church has always taught both and. We'll return to Living Bread Radio Presents after a short break. livingbreadradio.com is your link to the Catholic community in Northeast Ohio and beyond. From the new look of our community calendar to the video straight from the Vatican and the Catholic news headlines from around the country. It's a tool that you can use every day because it changes every day. Stay informed by logging on to livingbreadradio.com today and tomorrow and the next day. Well, you get the idea. livingbreadradio.com And now the conclusion of today's production of Living Bread Radio Presents. We're justified by works and not by faith alone. That doesn't mean I'm going to get saved by going out and do good works, but it means that once I'm justified by God, by believing in Him through the sacrament of faith, which is baptism, then I need to work. Then I need to do, be holy before Him because it says in Hebrews 12, 14 that you have to attain, achieve holiness, which is more than just sins forgiven, because without holiness, you will never see the Lord. We have to become holy, and that's how we do the good works of God. There's a tightrope walker going to go across the Niagara Falls, and he strings up a wire from Canada to the United States on the tightrope. And he gets a whole crowd together and yells out on the microphone, How many believe that I can go across this wire to the United States? And everybody says, We believe you can do it! We believe you can do it! So the man gets on the tightrope and he keeps walking across. The wind blows, he falls, he grabs, pulls himself back up. An hour later, exhausted, he gets to the other side. And everybody cheers. They can't believe he did this. He's exhausted. Then he takes a blindfold and puts it over his eyes. And he said, now how many believe that I can go back across blindfolded? And everybody else, we believe you can do it. We believe that you can. And he starts across. And an hour later, he gets to the other side. He's on the other side. They think he's ready to drop. He can't try it again, but this time he has one more challenge. How many believe that I can go back across this wire, this time with a blindfold on, but with a man on my back? They yell louder than ever, We believe you can do it! We believe you can do it! And then he asked for a volunteer. (laughs) Nobody came forward. Did they really believe? 
Is it faith alone that saves? It's obedience. It's trust. In the Bible, the word believe means, I've used this example, if somebody's dying on the side of the road and they got 30 seconds to live and they say, quick, tell me how to get saved. Your Catholic gospel is so complicated. Make it simple. I got 30 seconds left. I'd say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Oh, now he found out he's got an hour to live. So I said, okay, now that you've got an hour, we're going to have to go back in reverse here and I'm going to talk to you about what the word believe means. It means 100% commitment and trust. It doesn't just mean 2 plus 2 is 4, where I believe something intellectually. It means where I am willing to be like Abraham and lay my life down and follow him no matter what and give up everything for him. That's what the word believe means in the Bible. It is a word that is so pregnant. There's triplets in there because it's a word that is so pregnant. It has so much meaning that you can't reduce it to just believing like it is done in the evangelical world. It means you have to commit to give your life to him to obey everything he says because if you do not take up your cross and follow him, you're not worthy of him. And if you deny him before men, he will deny you before his Father in heaven. This is what the word believe means. And if I got that guy for an hour, I'm going to tell him now that you're alive for more than 30 seconds, we're going to talk and we're going to tell him this. That's what I'm going to tell the evangelicals too. It's not so simple. Okay, Abraham is now 137 years old. At 137 years old, he still does not have any land. And his wife, Sarah, dies. He goes to buy a cave in Hebron. It's called the Cave of Machpelah. It's still there. And he pays a lot of money for it because he's investing in the land which he doesn't yet own. Still not even an inch. But before he dies, he did one thing. He sends his servant up to Haran to Abraham's family to get a bride for Rebekah. Now think about this in the terms of typology. The the typology, you said the church hidden in the Bible in the Old Testament. Augustine had the wonderful saying, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old revealed. Abraham sends his servant to Haran to get a bride for his son Isaac. Now we've already established that this is a picture of the father with his only son. The servant is specifically unnamed in this chapter. We assume he's Eliezer of Damascus, but we aren't told that. It's just the servant with no name. Why? Isaac has just gone up to Mount Moriah and been crucified and in a sense raised from the dead because it says in Hebrews that Abraham believed God so much that he believed that even if he killed Isaac, that God would raise him from the dead. It's a picture when Isaac goes up of his crucifixion, his death with the wood of the cross, and he is then raised from the dead, and the father brings him back to his house, which is where? Heaven. Now what does the father do? He wants a bride for his son. He can't get them from the pagans. What does he do? He sends them to his family in Haran. He sends them to get a bride. for. Why an unnamed servant? Why is that a big deal? Because the Holy Spirit does not have a name. God the Father is Yahweh. Jesus is Jesus. The Holy Spirit is only described. He is holy and he is a spirit. But you tell me what his name is. It's new for me. He is only described as the Holy Spirit. Or he's described as the paraclete. Or the attorney that comes alongside. But he is just not has a name. He's the unnamed servant. Abraham sends his unnamed servant to his own people to find a bride for his son Isaac. Rebecca is there. She consents to come back. And when she comes back, what 
does it say happens? She puts the veil over her face to show humility to the groom. Isaac takes her into his tent, which is a euphemism for he married her and consummated the marriage. And the next thing it says is that Isaac loved his wife, Rebekah, the second time the word love is used in the Bible. The first time the word love is used of Abraham offering the son whom he loves on the altar. The second time the word love is used of Rebekah and Isaac, Jesus seeing the church, his bride. The Father sends the Holy Spirit down to earth. We just celebrated Pentecost. What is happening there? The Holy Spirit comes with a wind. And what does he do? It's the birthday of the church. And what's the church? The bride of Christ. And he gathers up the bride and he brings her up to his son in heaven. And all of you, by the way, have been invited to a great marriage feast at the end of time. And by the way, you're the bride. The groom is there waiting for you. Which is why I'm very hesitant to ever be critical of the church. By the way, when Jacob, this is one of the little fun cultural things, when, when Jacob went to Haran to bring Rebekah back if she'd come, he had ten camels, and he said, this is the prayer he prayed, whoever, if there's ever a girl who is the one you want, have her give me water and my men, and then offer to water my camels. Do you know how much water a camel drinks? <laughs> I know. One camel, he has ten By the way, the well was over there. She had to go get it with a stone jar, bring the water over and put it into a trough for the camels. One camel can drink 25 gallons of water in 10 minutes. Now you've got 10 camels. Each one's going to drink 25 gallons of water. How many gallons of water can a 15-year-old girl carry on her shoulder? This was some girl. I'll tell you what, I'd want her to marry my son, you know. (laughs) My wife has never watered ten camels. (laughs) But that's that's just a nice fact for you to remember. A camel can drink 25 gallons of water in ten minutes if he's thirsty. And these were thirsty, they just walked 500 miles. At 175, Abraham finally dies, still owning nothing of that land. Owning nothing, knowing he's going to be buried in that cave... And he had a dream. Actually, he had the dream earlier. And this was as cruel as anything God's ever done to him. I'm being facetious, by the way, when I say that. The dream said that your children will go down into a foreign land and be enslaved for 400 years. How would you like it if you had a dream tonight that said your children and their children will be made slaves in a foreign land for 400 years? But God, you told me you were going to give me the land. I was going to have the... Now, after all I've done, now you tell me that for 400 years, my grandsons and all of my relatives for the next 400 years are going to be in a foreign land and be slaves. They go down into Egypt. And he still believed God. And he died, an old man. And he died at 175, roughly the 25... 35 years after the test, we don't hear of any more tests of Abraham. Once he was willing to offer his son, God knew. He tested him one final test, and he said, Now I know that you fear me, and God left him alone. He's now blessed him, and blessed him, and blessed him. We always want the blessing without the work. And he was buried in the cave of Machpelah at 175 years old, and he's a saint 
in the Catholic Church. And then his son Isaac has two boys, Jacob and Esau. Jacob is the supplanter, the crook. He is the conniver, the liar, the cheat. So much so that he starts his birth out that way. Esau is coming out of the womb and he's got a hold of his heel trying to pull him back in and get out in front of him. And eventually he does get the birth right away from the oldest by cheating and stealing. And I read one Jewish rabbi, I just struggled with that, and he said, Esau did not care about the birthright. Jacob cared too much. And if God has to err on one side, he'll care for the one, he'll err on the side of the one who cares too much than the one who doesn't care at all. Jacob lived a life of sneaky crookedness, but in a way I love the name that God gives himself when he introduces himself to Moses 400 years later. He said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If he's willing to be the God of Jacob, then maybe he'll be mine too. I can understand him being the God of Abraham. But Isaac was a little effeminate. Isaac never did anything heroic. Rebekah wore the pants in the family. Isaac was, he, he also, like his son Esau, was controlled by his appetite. He knew that it was supposed to be the second-born son Jacob that got the birthright, but he loved that red meat. And he says to Esau, go out and get me some of that game that you kill out there, a gazelle or an ibex, and bring it back and cook me that food that you make and I will give you the blessing. Oh, Isaac, you know the blessing doesn't go to him. It goes to Jacob. Ah, but his stomach got the best of him. And Paul said that many people today, their gods are their appetites. Their appetite is their God. And Isaac fell for this. Isaac was not a strong man. So God is the God of Abraham, I can understand, but being the God of Isaac, I don't know. But then Jacob? I mean, it's downhill. And if he's the God of Jacob, and he calls himself that by name throughout history, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the crook Jacob, then guess what? We can have hope and confidence that he'll love us. I am the God of Steve, too, because he forgives us. And I said in my study over and over again that God is very good at drawing straight with crooked lines. So then Jacob, and we'll close with Jacob, that third son. Now he's the grandson of Abraham. He has Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. I already went through the list. And they have their kids. And then there's another famine. And Joseph is sold into Egypt. And they all go down to Egypt to survive. And Joseph takes care of them. Jacob dies, but his bones are brought back and he's buried in the Machpelah again with his fathers. And for 400 years, the children of Israel are slaves in Egypt. And tomorrow morning when I start again, I will start with Moses. And we'll pick up with the children of Israel enslaved in Egypt. We hope that you've enjoyed this production of Living Bread Radio Presents. For a copy of this program on Compact Disc, call 330-966-2903 or send an email to orders at livingbreadradio.com and reference the program broadcast date. This has been a production of Living Bread Radio in Canton, Ohio. Join us again next week at the same time for more Living Bread Radio Presents.